Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. And if you have a Bible handy, please turn to the book of James, chapter 5, as is customary whenever we hear Job, the prophet himself, speaking. While you're turning there, please consider going to our website, verylutheran.biz. In this, we have PDFs of articles, sermons, Bible studies. There is a support tab for those who are generous in helping me provide for my family through donations via Gumroad or a P.O. box. And there are also announcements for people who like to look at the future of what the VLP is going to be doing. We have many, many, many exciting things happening at the Very Lutheran Project, including a deacon training program that has begun in earnest and in private for people who want to be part of a special chat room, who want to learn how to serve their Christian brothers and sisters as deacons in the Catacomb Synod. And even if somebody does not want to be a deacon or to hold that office, they are still invited to this special chat room so that they can learn how to care for others. If you are interested, please email me at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com and we can hopefully get started, especially if I know you. Anyway, with that said, please hear the word of our Lord from James, the fifth chapter, beginning in the seventh verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now at this time we're going to be turning to Job chapter 10. And while you are turning there, a little bit of context. Job is responding in the ninth chapter to his friend Bildad. Bildad has lost patience with Job and begins speaking to him from a place of law, from the perspective that we all deserve the terrible things that happen to us, so Job should go to the Lord for mercy. In the ninth chapter, Job responds specifically to his friend Bildad. And Bildad the Shuhite gets an earful from Job. But in the 10th chapter, Job has already begun addressing God. But at this point, he decides he is going to throw his hands up and start letting it all out. For better or for worse. Let us hear the 10th chapter of the book of Job. I loathe my life. 
I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man? Are your years as a man's years that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? Although you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand. Your hands have fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart. I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace and look on my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion, and again work wonders against me. You renew your witnesses against me, and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. Why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me, and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Then cease and leave me alone, that I may find a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow. The land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order or light, is as thick darkness. In this tenth chapter, Job decides he's just going to let God have it. In the ninth chapter, he starts trying to beat around the bush when he speaks to God directly. If we look at chapter 9, verse 25, he begins to speak to God. My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. He speaks to God at first with this feeling of, could you lay off? I'm hurting here. I have no future. I have all this pain. And it continues on until he says in verse 33, there is no arbiter between us in the ninth chapter who might lay his hand on us both. It seems at that point, once he says that, Job comes to the realization that he truly is stuck between a rock and a hard place, so he might as well let loose the gates of his lips and just give God an earful. So he says, do not condemn me, in verse 2. But before he says that, he says, I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. A question everybody should ask themselves is, are we permitted to do this? Can you complain to God about what God is doing? 
Can you speak in the bitterness of your soul? Can you speak to God, point your finger at him and say, what on earth is going on? As Christians, we cover our mouth. We go, we could never. We could never speak to God that way. How dare we? That edges closer to blasphemy. Or does it? What Job says in the 10th chapter, is it blasphemy? Let's take a look. Verse 2, he says, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. That is an admission of ignorance. I don't know why this happened to me. And if the assumption is that I did something wrong, let me know. There are people like Job who do earnestly seek the Lord, and when something bad happens, the question is going to be, why me? Why did this happen to me? We must ask, like Job, why did this happen? Job does not know, but he has the assumption built in from his friends and from the law that sinners are punished. That is not a false statement. What is a false statement is everything bad in your life happens because of a specific sin that you committed. Job operates off of that mindset, but he responds rightly by asking, is this really the case? If this is the case, well, there must have been some sort of mistake. I, I need to know what exactly it is I did or why exactly God is doing this because otherwise I am stuck in a really hard situation. Verse 3, he continues his uh, angry dissertation here. Does it seem good to you to oppress and despise the work of your hands? and favor the designs of the wicked. He's not saying to God that he does indeed oppress and despises the work of his hands. He is not saying to God that God does favor the designs of the wicked, but that is what Job is seeing happen. He is poor and oppressed. He does feel quite despised, especially with the words of his friends floating around in his mind and in his memory. So he asks God, is that really how you feel? Is it wrong for Job to ask that question? Is it wrong for us to ask that question in this day and age where wickedness is absolutely everywhere and it is acting quite triumphant in the world, might I add? Is it good to ask, God, do you like this? Do you like seeing what is happening to our children that you should permit this to happen? The chemicals that they're uh, being prescribed right now? Do you like seeing the fentanyl overdoses? Do you like seeing the dispossession of our people? Do you like seeing us grow up being told that we are uniquely evil? What's going on? I want to ask you, have you asked God? Have you spoken out in your frustrations? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my people, my church, my family, my country, everything that I know, I don't even know if I know it. Especially for us millennials and younger, we don't even know what normal look, life looks like. We don't understand it. 
but we know that it's not supposed to be this. Have you asked God? The reason I ask this question, because God does not condemn most of what Job says. He says that Job speaks out of ignorance, but he does not say to Job in the end of the book that Job spoke wrongly about God. He does not say that Job had no right to speak this way. Instead, what does he say to Eliphaz the Temanite? My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. We have to keep that in mind from Job 42, that Scripture interprets Scripture. If Job asks these questions and God does not squish him, counting it as blasphemy against him, then what Job is asking is a right question to ask. Even if he has the wrong presuppositions, even if he doesn't understand things from an eternal perspective as we Christians do, it is perfectly fine for him to look at God and say, what are you doing? God wants that. If we look at God just as our king, then do we ever really have a relationship with him? Assuming that everybody listening to this is an American, do you have a relationship with the pre President of the United States? Do you have a relationship with a police officer that pulls you over when you do five over on the freeway? No. You address them with respect, if you're wise. You speak to them with honor, as is the, their due according to their office and their vocation. But does that, is, does that qualify as a relationship? Not at all. But if you were to personally know the president or the police officer or the mayor, and you could ask them, why'd you do this? What's going on? What is rolling through your head right now? And you were in a position to do that, then you, indeed you have a relationship with that individual and the God that loves you wants to have that dialogue, even if he does not answer. Job continues with what I would admit is the most uncomfortable question he's asked thus far. In verse 4, have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees, or your days as the days of man, or your years as a man's years, that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? Job asks a great question. Does God know what it's like to live as a human being here on earth? Now, of course, us good Christians, us good Lutherans, we answer, oh, of course he does. Our Lord Christ is the man of sorrows. Our Lord Christ entered into the world, adding a human nature to his divine nature. One person, two natures forever. We are good Christians that remember the Athanasian Creed. Does that mean Christ himself experienced what we humans experienced? I would tell you it does not. St. Paul says that in every respect he was made like us except sin. Our Lord Christ did not have a sinful nature. He did not have to rely on faith, the assurance of things hoped for and not 
seen, as the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 11. Our Lord Christ, being God, knew exactly what the throne room of God looked like. He knew exactly what would come after his crucifixion and his resurrection. He knew the thoughts of people around him. He did not deal with the uncertainty that we human beings, we normal, sinful, poor, miserable sinners, have to deal with. Job asks that question, have you asked it? Does God know what it's like? Oh, but us theologians, we all say, oh, of course, God is omniscient. He knows exactly what it's like. Well, head knowledge, God does. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And he knows all the hypotheticals. He knows how it would feel. But does that mean that God has experienced life as a sinner? Has he experienced what we sinful human beings feel. No. No, he does not. And he should not. He is God. He is holy. He is entirely other. He does not ever tolerate the presence of evil, especially not within his essence. Job asks this question, have you asked it yourself? And have you thought about the implication of that? What happens if you tell yourself, God doesn't know what it is like for me. Does that change how you see God? It shouldn't, because we have the gospel. This God that does not experience being a sinner. Our Lord Christ, who when he took our sin upon himself, that is the closest he has ever gotten to feeling what it is like for a human being to be a sinner. And his response was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And even then, he was not a sinner. He did not have a sinful nature. He who knew no sin became sin for us, but he was not a sinner any which way Stephen Paulson the Elka theologian can go pound sand. Christ was not a sinner. In the very closest he got, he said, Why has God my father abandoned me? Job asks that question and says, Do you get it? If Job was around for the crucifixion, he would look at Jesus and say, Do you understand now? And the answer is, God understands. He doesn't have to experience it to understand it. But our Lord Jesus went through greater suffering as the pure and spotless Lamb of God than any of us sinners ever would. We should say that our pure and eternal God, who does not experience our sinful flesh, still went through more than we did. Precisely because he understands how hard it is for us. If it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, that God has not experienced our sin, but he came so close in taking our sin that the cry of contrition left the lips of our Lord Christ and he went through worse than we ever will, thus we praise the Lord. If it sounds like I'm going around this in circles, it is because it is a difficult truth to understand and grasp. Job does not sin when he asks this question of God. But God's response through eternity is the plan of salvation. Continuing on, he says, Although 
you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand. God knows. Job did not speak wrongly here. This is a man who again and again and again, I will say, was blameless, that turned away from evil and sought good. Had he sinned in the past? Yes, he had. He admits as much. But his sins were atoned for. He was always doing sacrifices, always consecrating his household. He understood that he was saved by grace, at least in terms of how God saw him according to his faith. Job is holding on to that, but he continues and says, Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. You showed me all this love. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Wait, you... you made me. Dear God, in a certain sense, isn't this your responsibility? Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Something starting out so sweet, so rich, so good, turning into this moldy, gross, nasty-smelling mess. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. He says, I know that you made me. The psalm which says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that says, you knit me together in my mother's womb, takes its cue from Job. Job being the first book of the Bible to have been written. King David says, Job's got a point. God made me. He knit me together. Each individual human being he creates like a miracle. Every life, every conception is this wonderful thing. Job goes a step further. And he says, you have granted me life and steadfast love. Your care has preserved my spirit. Job still is saying positive things about God. But he says in verse 13, yet these things you hid in your heart. I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I'm guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head. For I am filled with disgrace. And look on my affliction. Were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. The fresh troops against him, that's likely a reference to his three friends here who have now begun to accuse him of doing something wrong. But what is the essence of this passage? When Job starts speaking of how God made him, God showed him so much love, God has knit him together and he's granted him steadfast love, chesed, covenantal love, so much that it seems like God made some sort of covenant with Job earlier, similar to what he did for Abraham. And here he's saying, you did this for me. You showed me your grace. You showed me your love. Where is that right now? You've curdled me, you've harmed me, you've cut me open, and you've put me in this dreadful situation where if I say that I am wrong, if I say that I sinned, I'm lying to you. And if I'm guilty, if I missed something, sure, woe to me. But if I'm in the right, I'm not allowed to say that. If I lift my head against you, I've just earned more of your wrath because I've defied the living God. Where is the love? 
Can you ask that same question to God now? Oh, I am sure there are some great Lutherans listening to this going, silly pastor, we know about God's love because we hear the gospel every Sunday. That's great. You're right. If you want to know that God loves you, you look upon the crucified Lord Christ who died for your sins. Are you going to feel that when you read the cancer diagnosis? Are you going to feel that when your wife leaves you for another man? Are you, in that moment, going to feel God's love poured out on you? No, you're going to feel abandoned. Can you, in that moment, do what Job did, that St. James praises as steadfastness? Can you do the same? Is this a secret to Job's steadfastness that he was willing to look upon God and say, what's going on? I thought you loved me. It certainly does not feel that way right now. Do you know what's going on? Do you see what I see? Do you feel what I feel? Are you here with me? If you can, in maturity, ask these questions, if you can speak from your real heart, instead of bowing your head to the floor every time, if you can go boldly to the throne of grace, as the author of Hebrews says, if you can do what Job did and be bold in your approach to God himself, don't you think that God can restore you then? Don't you think that he can look at you and say, I am compassionate and merciful, that's what James says about me in the fifth chapter. Especially because that's the whole point of this book of Job. Let me show you that I am compassionate and merciful. We speak of Job's affliction as meaningless. Oftentimes we look at it as a case study in meaningless suffering. Some sort of accident happens. Job is the victim of a cosmic bet, but it has its ultimate purpose for us Christians to read and meditate on, surely. But don't you ever wonder whether maybe, just maybe, God was trying to teach Job about his compassion in this. That he let all of this suffering happen to Job, knowing that this is a part of his sanctification. If we go to Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says something that is very eye-opening. And we should dare not say that Job was free from this dynamic. Job chapter 12, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in the seventh verse, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Let us speculate for just a moment that as the author of Hebrews says you must endure, as St. James says you must endure and be steadfast, maybe Job is the man to look to for steadfastness whom God says, I am going to sanctify you more. This is going to hurt. 
And Job responds by saying, fine, I have questions. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to complain about it. Let's engage in that relationship because my relationship with God is not some mere legal contract. It is not just a covenant. I know that you made me and you love me and I don't understand this next part, but fine, let's do that because that is part of having a relationship with God, warts and all. All the warts, of course, being on our end. The rest of this chapter, verse 18 through 22 of Job chapter 10, is a little bit more of his curse on the day of his birth. Why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me? He continues, are not my days few? And in verses 21 and 22, we see something that runs counter to the verse that everybody remembers from Job. We all remember Job saying, my Redeemer lives. In chapter 9, he says, I have no advocate. I got nothing. I got nobody. There is no arbiter between us. And in verses 21 and 22, he says, Before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order. It sounds like Job contradicts himself. It's not. As Job gives voice to his complaints, as Job pours out his soul to God, God is pouring his spirit into Job. As Job is willing to have a real relationship with God, not just a formal one, not just the relationship of an infant that is never disciplined. As he is there giving voice to his suffering, God is working on his heart. Right now, he says, I'm just going to go into blackness. Whatever, just end it. Just kill me. I don't have an arbiter. I don't have any sort of advocate. There's no help for me. He says that now. But over time, Job will then say, my Redeemer lives. It is later in this that we see the effects of sanctification on Job's heart. And greater faith, greater maturity in the faith given to him. Therefore, Though it may sound a little unpastorly for me to say it, I don't even know if that's a word. It might not sound very clerical of me, but I believe we should have this same breathing room that Job has to just let God have it, to speak our complaints, being careful not to blaspheme, being careful to not accuse God of evil, but to say, Dear God, this sucks. This is awful. I don't know what to do about this. This is difficult. I don't understand how I'm supposed to wake up in the morning and go through more of this life. Could you help me here? Because I'm not seeing this great agape love everybody says about you. Could you help me understand? We need that room to speak so we can be steadfast like Job. Unfortunately, his friends aren't going to get it. We're going to go into his third friend's first response next week. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.